Welcome to this Farmerama short, featuring an extended interview with Lismore-based farmer and holistic land manager Roger Dixon-Spain. Do you want my surname as well? Yes. Roger Dixon-Spain. Um, 74 years old. I spent the whole life in farming. Actually came to Scotland thinking that I was never going to farm again. That was uh, 16 years ago. I used to farm 1,500 acres of uh, alluvial silt down in Lincolnshire and Cambridgeshire. Actually, it's a mixture of alluvial silt and there was some peat, blackish soil, which was actually fast disappearing. Industrial farming, um, I, I wouldn't have called it that a few years ago, but I now realise that um, although I was very good at the job that I did, I got to the top of the ladder and then found out that it was against the wrong wall. I suppose, you know, I'd never wanted to farm in the first place. I was one of these young men who was expected to farm by their family and fell into line and did as I was told and uh, was not enjoying farming at all. We wound up on Lismore because of a botched um, holiday booking. Julie and I had, um, had had some pretty horrid stuff happen to us. Uh, we decided that we were going to spend the rest of our lives adventuring, doing all the things that we'd either never had time to do um, or the things we hadn't dared do. So we raced on motorbikes, we flew aeroplanes, uh, we rock climbed, we did all sorts of crazy stuff. And um, one of the things I wanted Julie to try was sailing. And so we booked ourselves on a charter boat. About two weeks before we were due to join this boat, uh, they rang us up and said, well, we've had a bit of an accident with the, with the boat. We don't want to leave UK waters, so well, we're not going down the west coast of France. We're going to the west coast of Scotland. And I went, oh. And Julie said, oh, for goodness sake, it's just sailing. And so we came to Scotland. That was... Um, End of August, beginning of September 2001, and we were living in Scotland by the 6th of January the following year. Do you want to just tell me where we are now? Well, we're on the island of Lismore. This property fell into our laps as a result of having to go and see a solicitor about something completely unrelated in, in Oban. Telephone rang, and uh, this solicitor, having talked to this person on the phone, said, um, think I found your house. And I said, pardon? He said, I think I found your house. That was a woman who wants to sell a place on Lismore. I said, where's that? He said, trust me, you need to go and have a look. This is just absolutely gorgeous. So the next day we, we came out here. We arrived at 11.30 and by 1.30 the, the deal was done. So Lismore was an accident. Scotland was an accident. And maybe we were, you know, as they say, being, being led uh, to what we're doing now. I had no intention of farming, but this house just happened to have 74 acres attached to it. So that's where it started, and uh, that was 16 years ago. Lismore sits in the middle of the uh, seaward end of the Great Glen, about five miles northwest of Oban. It sits like a ship in between two masses of mainland Scotland, and it is one of the only bits of limestone in Scotland. It is, relatively speaking, a lot more fertile than the, the land on, on the mainland either side of us, but you know, it's still marginal land. Um, most of the croft that we've got is, is rock and hill. You know, good productive soil is not what we've got here. However, compared with the rest of Scotland, it's terrific. 
So can you tell me a bit about your approach on this 74 acres of marginal land um, and how you came to be using that approach? Uh, yeah, well, it started off. I, I think there's a crofting law which says if you don't uh, if you don't use your croft, you know your next door neighbour in crofting law is entitled to come and use it if you don't. So we got some grazing animals. I'd never dealt with animals in my farming career because they were available on the island. We bought these Highland cattle. We started off with three, and, um, and we now have a, a small direct sales business which has been going for well, I suppose fourteen years now. And uh, we're producing some uh, really high-quality, 100% grass-fed beef and lamb. Ten years ago, we were watching a film by Rebecca Hoskin uh, called A Farm for the Future. This film was extraordinary, uh, 45 minutes, and it took as long as it took to watch the film to have my whole belief system completely reversed. At the end of the film, I believed none of what I'd spent my whole life believing. I couldn't sleep for two or three days. It just completely turned me inside out. And I suddenly realised that, you know, I'd spent my whole working life doing the wrong stuff. I'd been into ploughing the whole of my life, and I thought that was a necessary part of, um, of the business of growing food and managing land. So, oh dear, huge shock. But we immediately got into the business of researching this whole deal in depth and we have met some extraordinary people around the world on this journey and I can now say that I'm a holistic land manager, I'm a regenerative farmer, I'm really really excited about what we're doing here. It's earth-shattering stuff, the realisation that as a species we've got it so horribly wrong. We got into looking at holistic management because we watched um, Alan Savory's TED talk which I found totally inspiring. And, and he, was, he was saying that, um, you know, as a species, you know, we've always managed our lives in the, pretty much the same way uh, for time immemorial. But we're always firefighting, we're always dealing with today's challenge, today's problem. But what we haven't ever realised is that there are always unintended consequences that flow from something... Uh, that is dealt with in isolation rather than in the round. The whole of what you're dealing with has to be considered in whatever situation you find yourself in. And um, I know Alan's always saying that, you know, if, if the universe is a piece of string and you pull the string, everything moves. Uh, the H word actually has some, some connotations with people, which means long hair and sandals and flowers in your hair. But, you know, it's not that at all. What, what does it mean in practice? I think it's the depth of the thinking that goes into absolutely everything that we do now. Everything that we do here is contextual. So when we're making decisions here now, every decision that we make, whether it's our personal life, whether it's to do with the, with the farm, uh, the croft, whether it's to do with the lives of our children all the challenges that we meet and the decisions we have to make have to be filtered through that settled, holistic context. I mean, Alan Savory has put together a decision-making framework. Uh, every decision is put through seven testing questions, but the whole thing is really filtered through this holistic context that we spent months and months and months writing down on paper. So, you know, really, really... Uh, thoughtfully 
designed view of where we're headed. And not, not talking five, ten years from now, talking 50, 100, 150 years from now. So that we're dealing with land and with a business that will, will benefit people, you know, down the, the generations in perpetuity if we get it right. So what, what does that look like in terms of the mob grazing and the paddocks and the livestock you've got? Um, I, I, I know that mob grazing is a, a, a popular term um, for the way in which we uh, are now starting to think about grazing animals. Uh, I, I would like to use the term holistic planned grazing um, because the holistic planned grazing takes into account the environmental social and economic aspects of what we're trying to do and so we're not just moving animals from one paddock to another this is a choreographed dance i think probably we run our lives here on observation a lot you know how, how do i know when to move cattle feel i mean it's just looking you go and um, put the cattle and sheep into a paddock which is defined by electric fences so you can have whatever size you like you put them into a paddock, you observe what happens for 24 hours, and then you uh, make up your mind that, oh, it was a little bit small or it was a little bit big, or, and you adjust the size, and you, you just adjust it on a daily basis. You, you, know, you might move the animals uh, after 24 hours, you might move them after 12 hours, you might leave them for 36 hours, maybe 48 hours, but definitely not any longer than three days. When the grass is growing fast, you move them fast. When the grass is growing slow, you move them slow. I didn't understand what overgrazing meant. I thought that was too many animals on a piece of ground. It's not. The definition of overgrazing is that the forage is exposed to animals for overly long periods. So when you get the spring flush, you've got regrowth within 24 hours. You don't want animals grazing the regrowth. So that's why you move them quickly. And, uh, you know, a measure of uh, what's been happening to us here, we have 90 virtual paddocks. In the first year we did mob grazing, we only managed to graze each paddock once. This last year we grazed most of them three times, some of them four. And we got more animals. So we are producing a lot more grass. And we don't know what we're going to see in the next two or three years. I am led to believe there is a latent seed bank of plants that haven't germinated, seeds that haven't germinated for maybe 100 years, 150 years. I'm led to believe by my peers and the people who know more than I do that when conditions are right, it'll all come. And then you start to see diversity and uh, all the wonderful things that you want to see and dare to believe that you will see. But you think, when? Um, and that's where you have to be patient and trust that you're doing the right stuff. Um, and I think we are. You know, we see um, pastures being allowed to express themselves. You know, you don't see that in too many places. You don't see too much long grass. But, you know, long grass makes sense from a photosynthesis point of view. You know, if we're going to maximise solar gain, you know, like, I don't know if I ever thought it, but, you know, there's that nuclear reactor up in the sky... And most people are disconnected from the knowledge or even the thought that that's what everything runs on. So it has to be the answer. You know, it's like um, people bang on about technology. And yeah, it's really useful. You know, we live on the net because it's useful to communicate with people. 
And I'm sure that, you know, in my farming career, I saw lots and lots of wonderful, supposedly wonderful things happen. But they're all, all the technology that we use is a human construct. And, and because it's a human construct, if it goes wrong, we can fix it. But when it comes to land management, water management, when it comes to human relationships, when it comes to all those sort of things that aren't human constructs, then those are testament to our lack of understanding because we get it so horribly wrong a lot of the time. We live in a biological universe. So to my mind, it must be that the answers are probably going to be biological, not technological. The problem is that, you know, we're so invested in this, this system that we've got, you know, whether it's growing uh, commodities or whether it's transporting food, you know, we have a system which has no resilience built into it at all. And I would say, simplify everything. Get to use and understand nature's chemistry set and use that. Don't use the technological stuff. Use what's there for free. You know, this photosynthesis, you know, it's like uh, the mantra here is no bare ground anywhere. And uh, boy, does it make a difference. If you go out into our pastures in the summer, you can't find the soil. It's just a mat of dead, dying, decomposing plant food. You can pass it and part it and part it and eventually you'll come to some soil. But if you try and penetrate that with a hoof, you can't. It's like a trampoline. We're squaring the circle, you know, it's like uh, if you don't have animals, well, you know, all the stuff that's said about animals and much vilified livestock, they are part of this wonderful circular system. Birth, life, death, all the stuff that goes on in between. And, uh, you know, we're, we're now living with that real time. And I think it's, it's, it's inspiring to do that. We are totally out of what used to be understood as agricultural practice. It's a completely different mindset. And because Alan Savory will say, well, it's because you're thinking holistically about everything. So what are the changes you've seen on, on the farm since you started adopting this approach? Um, since we started planned grazing, it started off by being mob grazing, I have to say. But I think we've seen a, our forage production triple. Out of the 74 acres, we've got about uh, 20, 24 acres of grazing. Uh, we've got about the same of uh, stockpile forage. In other words, grass that we let grow through the summer and then graze during the winter. And we have about the same of uh, woodland and rough grazing and non-intervention areas. A, a lot of the croft is rock and rock and hill, you know, We've got, we've got heather, we've, um, you know, so some of it's a bit acid, but there's not a lot of what you call flat grazing mm -hmm. ground. So, so how, how many livestock have you got? Just now? Uh, we've got 10 Highland cattle, 10 Texel cross blackface hoggets. Uh, so in terms of livestock units, about 20 livestock units, something like that, because we have our animals out all year round, they're not housed. Uh, the winter time's a bit of a problem if we've got too many feet on the ground because it just make a horrible mess. So it's a balancing act between the, the amount of mess that animals will make on the land during the winter 
on top of which we recognise that the living that we would help other people to make here is not going to be based on, on cattle and sheep. They're a management tool, they make a profit, but realistically we're not going to be making enough money to support somebody's living here if it's just cattle and sheep. So how do you make a living off 74 acres and on an island in Scotland without having to rely on subsidies and government handouts? That is the purpose of doing what we're doing because uh, other than um, returning land uh, soil to being healthy, learning to grow topsoil, learning to grow soil biology, sequestering carbon and uh, being able to show people that we have the answer to climate change, we also want to have the answer to uh, rural communities being able to support themselves financially without government help because we're all going to have to do that at some point. And so if we can learn to do that, then we're going to be ahead of the curve and then we'll be able to teach other people to do the same. So how, how, how are you going to make a living from this from, other than from your livestock? Um, it's likely to come from a mixture of, of the animals that we've got at the moment because um, we supply our regular customers with meat and uh, they've been continuously asking us for chicken. We're just, um, just building our first eggmobile. We've had hen houses on wheels, but we need to be following the cattle. You know, okay, so Alan Sabre's wisdom, you know, of not his wisdom, but, you know, if you go out and observe nature and you look at the Serengeti and you see a load of water buffalo, what's on their backs? Egrets. You know, there are birds. There are birds everywhere. So pasture sanitizers, and also, you know, food for laying hens and that sort of stuff. Jilly and I have uh, spent two and a half years getting ourselves to be qualified to slaughter chickens here. And Julie, on her own, got legislation rewritten to allow us to do that, to allow new people into the industry. We are the first uh, new people in the chicken industry in Scotland since devolution. The profitability of it looks really good. We would be um, producing pasture-raised chicken, pasture-raised eggs, and uh, the rest of the income would come from education and a tourism offer. And it could be either tourism in the sense that everybody knows um, tourism, in other words, people on holiday, or it's going to be the business of educating people into this new way of looking at farming, land management and food production. Mm -hmm. uh, human health, animal health, the whole nine yards. Because once we start down this path, everything changes. Absolutely everything. My job, I, I guess, in the future, and that of my wife, Julie, will be... Uh, helping to educate people to know how to do what we're doing here and what the benefits are, but uh, also to help young people to get into farming, people who have never been in farming before. You know, farmers are so invested in, in what they've learned to do over a lifetime, they're, you know, virtually impossible to persuade. So we're either looking for low-hanging fruit, those people who know there needs to be a change but don't know how, or young people who are open-minded enough to just come in and learn how to look after um, the land that we rely on as our base asset, as a species. Because if we muck that up, we're, we're toast. Five years ago, 
we both simultaneously injured ourselves. So at that point, we started to realise that we were not getting the work done. And so we set about trying to find a young couple that would take over from us. We personally don't want to be doing the work. We want to hand that on to somebody else. We want to be responsible for getting the message out there, helping, helping them to educate themselves, being front men for people who visit here um, whilst they're learning their trade, and just generally sort of enjoying the process because it's extraordinarily exciting. If you want to know about the power of recovery, um, you just have to look at what 16 years has done. Oh, it's just extraordinary. So I, I think, you know, our countryside is, is in for a renaissance big time uh, if we're going to sort the climate change thing out. What's going to make that change happen, do you think? What's people like me, I guess. Mm -hmm. People like Richard Perkins, people like Gabe Brown, people like Alan Savory, you know, he, he's saying, look, take my stuff, interpret it and make it work in your particular geographical climatic zone. Work it out. You, you've got the basics. And that's what we're doing. If I was farming today, if I was farming in the fens, I'd have probably have eight, eight, 10,000 head of cattle. And my job would be to move them once or twice a day. That would be my job. And once I'd done that, because once they're trained, you know, if you'd seen the cattle moving this morning, they get really, really excited when they know they're going to be moved. I mean, you'd think they're big, lugubrious animals and, and then they, they behave like school children when you, when, when you take them to a new pasture. So I would, I would do that once or twice a day. I would have no chemical bill, I'd have no fertiliser bill, I'd have no machinery bill, I'd probably have not much of a labour bill. And once I'd moved my cattle, okay, so you have to put the infrastructure in to do it, but once that was done, you know, I'd move the cattle once or twice a day and I'd spend the rest of the time sitting under a tree reading a book. But your neighbours would think you were gone nuts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely nuts. Then you would start to get the fertility back into the soil and then you could start to say, right, well, we'll... You know, we'll grow something else as well as having the animals, but it'll be a completely integrated system. This Farmer on the Short was produced by me, Katie Revel, with Abby Rose and Joe Barrett. Thanks to my dad, Philip, for making the recordings. And thanks to Roger for sharing his experiences. You can find out more about Roger, Jilly and their work at lismoregrassfedbeefandlamb.co.uk. Thank you.